The author of our psalm, David, today in that psalm speaks of how God cares for the fatherless and how essentially he becomes the father to the fatherless. That all those who take advantage of those who are under his care, he'll break their power and that he continues to watch those who are his own So in light of that, we'll now look at another passage speaking of God's fatherhood. Galatians chapter 4, the verses 1 through 9, after which we'll be reading chapter 5, the verses 13 to 15 as well. And this is in connection with Lord's Day 34 of our Heidelberg Catechism. Galatians chapter 4, the verses 1 through 9. And you'll be able to find that on page 1339 of your pew Bible. The Apostle Paul has been speaking of how the Galatian church, the members of the Galatian church belong in Christ. How they're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, that they are heirs according to God's promise. All who put their faith are spiritually children of Abraham, the first man whom God had called out of Ur, out of the land of the Chaldeans, to make for himself a nation, the first man of that nation that God had called for himself. He carries on in chapter 4. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under the guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature, are not God. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? So this was a caution to the people in the church of Galatia to keep from turning back to where they had been brought from. And we move to chapter 5, verses 13 to 15 as well. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Now we look to the ten words of the covenants as is summarized by the Heidelberg Catechism and we'll 
find that on page 550 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 34. What is the law of the Lord? And so follows the Ten Commandments as we have recited them this morning. The question that follows on the heels of that is, how are these commandments divided? Into two parts. The first teaches us how to live in relation to God. The second, what duties we owe our neighbor. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God, trust in Him alone, submit to Him with all humility and patience, expect all good from Him only, and love, fear, and honor Him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing against His will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word so far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we've come to a new part in our Heidelberg Catechism today. The Ten Commandments. This is the part that is found within the third part of the Heidelberg Catechism, dealing with this thankfulness, our thankful response to God for our salvation. It's the second of three major topics covered in our Catechism. First, the Apostles' Creed. Second, the Ten Commandments. And third, the Lord's Prayer. And it's around these bones that the rest of the Catechism is built. Our catechism starts in a very good and beautiful place, reminding us that everything begins and ends with the work of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ. What is your only comfort in life and death? Those words that we know so well, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Second, we are introduced to why we need to belong to Jesus. Our situation is pretty bad. We're in a pretty grim place. And so the Catechism talks about how sin came into the world and what a terrible place the world has been made because of it. Every bit of brokenness, pain, and damage in this world being because of people like you and me. It's the result of humanity's actions. And by the wrong things that we do, little or big, that we contribute to it every day. The question that followed on the heels of that was then, what do we do? The answer, well, we can't save ourselves. Jesus is the only one who can save us, and we need to believe in him. But what does believing in God actually mean? Some of you young men and young ladies may be wondering this as well as you're considering professing your faith. What does believing in God actually mean? 
It's at that point that our catechism introduces us to the Apostles' Creed, that profound and beautiful summary of Scripture, that we have a triune God, that our Father is our Creator and our Provider, that the Son came into this world as our Redeemer, what He did for us, and that it was enough for us. Yes, our sins were terrible, but His grace is greater. And finally, we believe that the Holy Spirit lives in us and preserves us in the salvation that the Son has bought for us. That is what we are to believe. If we believe in that, then we belong to God. We are next reminded of the signs that God then gives us to remind us of the fact that we truly do belong to Him. Signs that the Christian can take hold of, namely the sacraments. Baptism to remind us of His claim on our lives. And after we profess our faith, Lord's Supper to remind us that those who truly believe in Him will never be let go by Him. Those physical reminders that fix our eyes on the work of Jesus time and time again. But then there's the keys of the kingdom of heaven, the preaching of the gospel and church discipline. This is a warning call from the church to people who are unrepentantly living in sin, who claim to believe, but by their lives show they do not. This is when the church points out to someone that by their life they're they're showing that they don't really believe how bad sin is, how great God's grace needed to be in order to save us, and that the Spirit teaches us and empowers us to move away from sin. They want to unrepentantly hold sin more dearly than God. If they do, then God will not accept them in heaven. And the warning and discipline of what happens on earth is not a reflection of the power of men on earth, but a warning of men on earth about how God in heaven views sin. Instead, the Heidelberg Catechism moves on saying, instead of living unrepentantly in Lord's Day 33, we are encouraged to be genuinely repentant of our sin in light of what Christ has done, in light of everything that we confess to believe in the Apostles' Creed, and to embrace who we are in Christ a person with a new nature, one who is washed clean with Christ and who is now enabled and empowered by the Spirit. You are enabled to hate your sin and to love and delight in Christ as Father. That is the life of a new person in Christ. That is your life as it's described in our passage in Galatians as well. And from that position of belonging, from that position of seeking Christ and desiring to leave our sin behind, as attractive as it might be to us, that position of being a child is the position of your life as it's described in our passage in Galatians as well. From that position of belonging, we come to our theme today. As children of God, we are enabled by the Spirit first to have no other gods before Him, 
Second, to live in love for God. And third, to fulfill our duties to our neighbor. You shall have no other gods before me. These are the opening words of the law of God. Because just like a husband wants to lay claim on the love of his wife alone, and her wife, his wife, she alone, wants to lay claim to her husband, God and God alone wants your loyalty and your love. Like marriage, living for God God himself lays out that this is an exclusive relationship that he will not share with other gods. But what is a god? Gods are not truly gods. They don't have any real power. In the Old Testament, they're frequently referred to as blocks of wood and stone, inanimate things, things that can't really bless us. Or, on the other hand, demons. A god is basically anything that we worship, anything that we pursue. When we look at it at the foreground, when we just think of the concept of God, it might seem easy to us then to say, okay, have no other gods before him, That should seem pretty simple. You boys and girls might be thinking, after all, we don't believe in other gods, do we? Thor is a movie character to you. Zeus is ancient history. You don't believe that they're real gods, do you? So it should be good. But here we need to look at what was said again. A god is basically anything that we worship. What do we want above anything else that we're willing to lift it up and sacrifice everything for it? What do we sacrifice to? And what do we sacrifice for? What do we hope to get through the sacrifices that we make in life? When we look at it from that perspective, we can see that anything can really become a God. Anything can turn our hearts to idolatry. Anything that we have or invent in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. We say, I want to be successful. And I'm willing to lift that up above everything else and sacrifice everything for that. Or, I don't feel complete unless I am loved and being loved by this other person means sacrificing everything that I believe, being willing to sacrifice everything that I believe. Or I find my identity in what other people think of me, this picture of myself that I present to the world, and I'm willing to sacrifice everything for that picture. I find who I am in what I love, what I give time to. But God teaches us in a passage in Galatians 4 today that this is not where your identity lies. If you believe in Jesus Christ, 
you have been adopted as sons and heirs. Verse 4, God sent his son that we might receive the adoption as sons. And then look at what follows. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. To cry, Abba, Father, to him is you laying claim to God as your father. You lay claim to God through this because he has given you the right. He has first laid claim to you. He is your God and you belong to him. So the first thing we are brought to understand with this commandment is that it is God laying claim. You shall have no other gods before me because you belong to me. Worship of God is grounded in already belonging to God. We worship because we belong, not so that we belong. You shall have no other gods before me because you belong to God. And so, you who belong to him, your love belongs to him. You whose faith is in him, you're bound to him by covenant. So the Holy Spirit reminds you in the words of Scripture today, first of all, you shall have no other gods because you belong to God. In the second place, you shall have no other gods because you have been set free. In the Old Testament, we see this truth coming forward in this way. The preamble to the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I brought you out of slavery. I brought you out of worshiping all of those other gods. You have been set free. You belong to me. In Christ, this has become even more powerful. Because Christ has not only brought us out of physical slavery, but Christ has brought us out of slavery to sin. And so those who believe in Him have been set free. They belong to Him. So again, through Christ, we can see this even more powerfully highlighted in our passage. You are a son. You are an heir, Paul writes. There were and there are other false gods that try to lay claim. There are gods that tell us we need to sacrifice our families to advance more quickly in our companies and fulfill our dreams of becoming rich. There are gods that say we need to sacrifice sections of our lives to pursue destructive addictions. We can even sacrifice in the pursuit of things that are themselves good until we lift them up to the position of being God in our lives. Sacrifice and pursuit, sacrifice for and pursuit of love is good unless we begin to find it in all the wrong places. Our marriages can be damaged and sacrificed as we pursue love outside of our vows. Our desire for achievement becomes a God when we sacrifice honesty and integrity at school and chasing a higher grade. Our desire for affirmation becomes a God when we sacrifice our principles for the sake of those relationships 
with people who are around us. But the Holy Spirit teaches us that we don't need to find our identity in those other things. These things don't own you. You have been led out of a place in which you owed your allegiance to those things, in which those things sucked up your whole life, in which those things laid claim to everything. You find your value in God. And He enables us to offer our lives as living sacrifices to Him. As we look to Him, He enables us more and more to leave those other things behind because He reminds us, you are free of that. Free from sacrificing ourselves with different parts of our lives on the altars of the gods of success, lust, addiction, affirmation, and other things. You are set free and you have been made a son or a daughter. Remember the claim on you that's described by your sonship here in Galatians 4, loved ones. Remember it and rejoice in it. Let that be the banner that you hold in front of you. Let that be the thing that you move towards when you found yourself entangled once more. Use the memory of your sonship, of your belonging to motivate you to delight and grow in what he's given as he sets you free more and more, freeing you from the pursuit of idolatry, from sacrificing your life to false gods, gods that lead only to grief. Remember how he frees you to live in love for him. This is the second point. We read in our passage, Galatians 4, verses 6 to 7, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, to, not no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir to God through Christ. Now there are two things that I want you to notice here. First, Abba is calling on God Calling on God in a time of need. You can almost imagine a child that runs stuck when he's playing with one thing or another. What's the first thing that he does? Dad! Mom! Help! Abba is calling on God in our time of need, especially when, you, when we fail. We run to God. When you fail, what's your go-to? Do you run away? Do you find your gut reaction being like Adam and Eve to hide from God? To hide in the garden? Maybe this is your first reaction. Why? Perhaps it's because you want to continue in sin. This is the fruit of an unrepentant heart. You have no interest in Christ. You want to continue in what you have. This is a dangerous path. Sometimes it's reflective of only a temporary hardness of heart, but it can be reflective of you never having put your trust in Christ at all. That you 
throwing it all aside, saying, he's not your Lord, and you don't really care what Christ thinks. If this is the case, you serve another God. The law here and the sinful reaction to the law is a spotlight exposing your heart. You do not belong in that place, loved ones. Repent or know that you are on the road to destruction. But perhaps you're running away for another reason. Perhaps you're running away because you have a tender heart. You want to run to God, but you tremble at His holiness. He seems terrifying to you in His goodness. And look at me. Who am I? If that's you, then take courage. Though terrifying in His holiness, He is still tender in his mercy. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking wick he will not snuff out. Remember the prophet Isaiah when he saw God's glory lighting up the sky and he fell down before God and said, woe is me. Then God comes to him. He comforts him and he cleanses him. Or think Abraham as he was led out of the land of the Chaldeans. Despite weaknesses, God came to him. God laid claim to him. God brought him out. Despite his sin and the many times that he fell, as we see it in Scripture again, and his trust wavered, he was led to know God as his God. He learned and he grew over time, even through his stumblings. God gave him that promise that he belonged to God. And God taught Abraham to run to him. And in time, God changed him. If it is your tender heart that leads you to tremble before God, Come to your Father. You are His adopted child and you belong. Don't run away anymore. He is your Father. Not like earthly fathers who fail. Not like earthly fathers who fall short. Earthly fathers who can do wrong. But He deals with you in the tender mercy of a perfect Father. Galatians 4, you are his adopted children and he will care for you. It's in light of who we already are in Christ then that we respond. It's in light of who we are already in Christ that we act. And so God calls us by these opening words of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me to trust in that to trust, to follow Him, and to obey. Do you understand that? Everything before, what you believe, what the Apostles' Creed has summarized, 
all of that ending in this, my only comfort is in life and in life and death is that I belong to Jesus Christ, that he has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the power of the devil. This is the confession of the one who has faith in Christ. And it's from that position of peace and security. From that position of Christ having paid for your sin, Christ having paid for you, God having become your Father, that we can come to Him. And that we can live out of that for Him. And everything that then follows is a response of holding fast to that peace and security. A response of of recognizing that none of those other things can help but I want to live for Him because I want to follow Him. I belong to Him. We don't serve God because we want to gain standing before Him. We serve God because we are His children, adopted through Jesus Christ. We want to be obedient then because we love Him. Galatians shows us that we rightly confess the Ten Commandments where we do now, which is to say the third part of our catechism, our thankfulness to God. Galatians shows us that Christ wants us to learn how to live in thankfulness and in love, not to see the law, as Spurgeon so famously said, as the whip that drives us along. When you see yourself as a son and heir, the rest of the law then no longer holds that position in this first commandment as well. It's not a whip that drives us along anymore, but it becomes the road that is spread out before us. The road to walk on, the road that Jesus cleared by his suffering through our adoption, the road that is straight and narrow that leads to the holy city. On this road, the Holy Spirit moves us. And where we fall short, He leads us to cry, Abba, Father. And the Father sets us on our way again. This is the road to which we have been called. This is the response that we give as we confess that we have no other gods before us. This brings us to our third point, to fulfill our duties to our neighbor. So what happens is a natural outcome of this. In chapter 5, verse 13, God teaches us this in Galatians. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The freedom that we are given and the road that is now spread before us has a purpose As with all of our life, the purpose is twofold. First, to bring glory to God, and secondly, to serve our neighbor. An interesting thing happens when we recognize this first commandment and we begin to hold it as dear and we begin to hold it as an exclamation of our love, our response of love to God as we move forwards towards God we get increasing liberty. As we move towards God, 
we see more and more the freedom that we're given. And chapter 5, verse 13 of Galatians also teaches us that when we abuse the liberty of God, we end up getting ensnared again. Do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Looking back at verse 8 and 9 as well, but then indeed when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Don't turn back to that again because that increases your slavery. You end up getting ensnared all over again. But when we, by God's grace, turn away and we go to Jesus Christ, moving towards Him and wanting to be obedient to Him out of love, seeking to align our life with His, what happens then? As our liberty grows, that love begins to overflow to our neighbors. In love, they begin to be served. Holding money loosely, we begin to serve others through it. Letting go of serving lifelong grudges, healing comes. Letting go of the God of being in control all the time. Peace comes as things are more and more turned over to God's hands. Instead of being in control, being freed to serve. Freed to be content to rest in God's providence. Love of God leads us to growing in love for our fellow man. Through love, serving one another, 5 verse 13, not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. Loved ones, as we hold fast to that first commandment, looking to God and God alone, your neighbors are served as well. As you keep coming to Jesus Christ, instead of running away, as you serve God and God only. And so remember the goodness that He shows you. Remember to lean on your identity in Christ as a child, as a son of God. Rest in the Spirit who gives you opportunity through prayer to cry, Abba, Father. And listen to Him as He teaches us to say, Abba, Father, I need you. See how God continues to grant liberty as this grows. And see how you respond as you grow in love. Rejoice as God's name is glorified in you as you confess Him and Him alone as God. You, His son or daughter. Rejoice as God's name is glorified in and through you for your neighbor's good and for God's glory as you have no other gods before you. Amen.